0: Uh, Hey, everybody. I don't usually jump in before an episode like this, but we're trying something uh, pretty wacky and crazy for this episode. It's a particularly long episode, and uh, we're going to be away next week, so we won't be able to put in an episode. So what we decided to do was break this episode into two episodes. It's an analysis of the Declaration of Independence. Actually, it's only part one, but we're going to make part one A and part one B. And instead of... uh, uploading the second one next week we're going to put them both up today so you as the listener get to choose if you want to binge listen to both episodes or save one for next week to listen to at the regular time that is your uh, wacky crazy decision you get to make and uh, we think this is a particularly important fundamental issue, issue that gets ignored all too often so please don't be confused you're going to get episodes 36, 37 at the same time Listen to them as you like. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome to another episode of The Teacher's Lounge, J.U. Israel's way of keeping in touch with you and making sure that you feel connected to what's going on in the state of Israel. I'm your host, Michael Unterberg, here as always with our co-host, Alan Goldman. How's it going, Alan? It's going good, Mike. We've a change of venue today.
1: We're at the waffle bar on Bethlehem Street, Bethlehem Street in Baca, or Geulim,
0: as it's officially called. I gotta say I'm a little uncomfortable being in a waffle bar. I've never been in one before. It feels a little bit like uh like a uh I don't know, I feel like a, like a seminary girl a little bit. I'm getting in touch with that side of me. Why, what do you mean that, that it has an official name, Baca? Uh,
1: so Baca is the <coughs> what everybody refers to is what they called the Arab neighborhood that was here before 1948 um, when Israel uh, incorporated this part of Jerusalem into the state of Israel in 1948, 1949. So they gave it a Hebrew name called Gu'ulim. But the the Arab name stayed. Basically, the way people normatively call it baka, like katamo
0: Just in common uses. So, you're saying even when we go for a coffee and croissant, you have to turn it all into a big political message for everybody around you? Well, I just want to you know, push those buttons, pretty much. Fair enough. I guess that's part of what a podcast is for. Now, today we're going to do something a little bit strange. We will have to uh, bring people up to date. With issues like the election within the Labor Party, uh, Alan, you want to just give the headlines, and we'll deal with it at a later episode.
1: Strange because the, is, does it really mean anything or not? And even though Israeli radio is talking all about it, and Israeli media is talking about it, do the primaries that they just had in the Labor um, Party, um, because they lost the last election? There's they have certain laws that they in their parties laws that they have to have a primary within a certain amount of time so that time came and they've elected a new head um and have demoted isaac herzog who was the um the head of the party when they ran in the last election i guess two years ago now or so um funny enough he managed to double the size of the mandates in the party but yet still has now lost the leadership to an outsider it, it seems very similar to what happened in uh, the Republican Party in in some in some ways where you had eight candidates running, um, seven of them insiders, one of them an outsider, and then they had to have a runoff because then there was two that sort of made it past the thresholds and they had a runoff between uh, former head of the party and a longtime labor. Um, uh, leader, Amir Peretz, and this newcomer, outsider, Avi Gagbay. And uh, the outsider won, Avi Gagbay. So now everybody's trying to figure out what this guy actually thinks and
0: believes. Um, well, he's a relative novice, and people are comparing him, I've seen in the Israeli press comparing him to Macron, one of these guys whose party was on the outs, because, and he's sort of, as an outsider, having a more centrist position, is going to try to campaign towards the, the the growing Israeli center
1: even though Isaac Herzog had a very centrist position which is why he was able to double the mandates last time but he's younger, he's an outsider he's Mizrahi meaning he's a, he's a, a Jew who hails from uh, Arab lands, not Ashkenazi Morocco I think
0: I think so yeah um, so uh, it's all very. It's why, is that, why is that significant within the, the Labour Party, why is that so interesting I mean, Peretz already was a labor leader who was Fardy, So the runoff was between two Jews, I think, of Moroccan descent, both of them. Uh, Why is that so interesting and significant for the Labor Party?
1: Because the Labor Party was always the, goes back to the old socialist um, uh, Mapai and uh, the sort of Ashkenazi elite who ran the country for years and is still associated with the Labor Party, the the urban urban areas, um, uh, in terms of running the party, even though they always had a lot of... Uh, men and other supporters you couldn't in this country without uh, making it. Um, what I heard on this morning on one of the talk show radios, um, they were interviewing one of the Shas um, uh, ministers, who uh, one of Shas' uh, representatives. Shas is uh, Shas is the Sfardi ultra orthodox party, who get a, a huge amount of support from non orthodox, what we call Masorti or traditional Sfardi Jews. Who, who vote for them out of the Sephardi ethnic, um, you know, Sephardi, Sephardi ethnic uh, vote, you could say, um, and then they say, well, how's this going to affect you now that the new head of the Labor Party is a very out Mizrahi Sfardi, traditional, um, traditional Jew.
0: You're giving, you're giving Sephardim an option that they would normally vote for anything with a Sephardi imprimatur. Now Labor has that.
1: Right. So and so that we, that those are things we're going to have to watch. The question is, how meaningful is it now?
0: Well, I think you're also being kind to the historical Mapai, in that they weren't just primarily Ashkenazi, European-ish, intellectual-ish, but they were, they were perceived by many Svartim as being pretty racist and dismissive of them, which is why in 77, when Begin, who was also an Ashkenazi, but, 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 but treated them with more, with more of an inclusive attitude that's part of what carried him to victory and broke the, the left's uh, hold in 77, ushering in the first right-wing government by welcoming the Sephardim into his party.
1: Yeah, absolutely, 100%. I mean, at best, one could say that for traditionally the labor was paternalistic towards, towards uh, Mizrahi Jews, um, at worst, as you said, racist or outwardly racist. And the change definitely happened in the 70s by 1970s uh, a majority of the Jews in Israel were Jews from uh, Mizrahi background. Uh, by the way, I'm kind of pushing on the Mizrahi background and not saying, trying not to use the word Sephardi, because Mizrahi applies to, let's say, a whole swath of Jews who come from uh, Arab lands, which would like include Yemenites who are not Sephardi; they're Yemenite. Um, uh, so that's why I sort of, uh, but identify in many ways. Um, with those communities.
0: Well, they're they're sort of... Do you count Yemenite in Mizrahi? Or I always think of Mizrahi as the blend of Jews from Arab lands who took in the Jews who fled in the 15th, 16th century from Spain and created this sort of synthesized culture of Mizrahi Jews. And Yemenites are sort of... Yemenites have many cultural differences from those Jews of other Arab lands because they didn't absorb a lot of uh, uh, Spanish refugees.
1: I mean, I'm pretty sure the term. I and mean, we guess we'd have to look at this mathematics But I'm pretty sure the term, the, the, the distinguishing, I think I made always in the term is between Mizrahi, which are Jews from Arab lands, whether they had Sephardi influence or not, and, and Sephardim, who who were those who left Spain or kicked out of Spain or what you know Western Europe, and went to Arab lands, and then in, mo- in most places took over the communities, like in Morocco or even in places like you have a split in Syria. Between the Sephardi communities and the and the homegrown Syrian communities and things like that, so the, that's why I, But I always understood Mizrahi applies to is the more general, and the Sephardi is more particular of those who hanged on the
0: traditions of leaving Spain. But uh, over time, they blended to a large degree, so yeah, that yeah. yeah, for sure. Would you say though that the good news of the labor runoff uh, is that? that the, the the traditional racial boundaries or I don't know what you call racist boundaries between Sephardim and Ashkenazim has gotten much, much, much better in contemporary Israel than it was in Israel's early years? Yeah,
1: but I don't know if that's any more recognizable from this one than I mean, when Amir Peretz was elected as the head of the Labour Party a bunch of years ago. Um, Come on, man!
0: Give me something to feel good about. Know, Just what? something, something.
1: Well, feel feel good about it. Amir Peretz was when he was the when he was the head of the Labor Party and was in the Minister of Defense. He was the one who pushed through the Iron Dome, the Iron Dome plan, which we know has become an absolutely essential part of of Israel's security apparatus. When everybody laughed at him, and the reason why he did it is because he's from Steroth. He grew up in the periphery, so I think any time you're you're electing someone who is out of the, you know, the the bubble, um, that is a good thing. This, you know, that does give certain good advantages of maybe broadening scope and and bringing things to different peoples who didn't have a voice and didn't
0: necessarily um, uh, were catered to. Let's say. We are all enriched when, when all voices are heard. That's one of the underlying ideas of democracy. Not that... Much, every, sorry?
1: Much more articulate way of saying it, thank you. Yeah.
0: No, no, not, the, not that... We're not looking for a vision of a future where everybody thinks the same, looks at the world in the same way. On the contrary, we building a society where people look at the world differently but work together is... Really, not only a, a, a democratic vision of how society should function, but I would say a very Jewish idea that that I would, the fact that we look at things differently brings us all benefit.
1: And maybe that's a bridge to the topic that we want to talk about today: um, the Declaration of Independence of the State of Israel, which is really a visionary document about that, about the vision of what Israel's supposed to look like and what we want to accomplish um, and why we're here.
0: Uh, well, you know, I think as a listener, hearing that today's topic or reading it on the download, that today's topic is going to be Declaration of Independence, I might think, why are they doing Declaration of Independence? It's not close to Yomatsimut. There's no anniversary. There's no... I, I, we are doing this on purpose because we think this is such a fundamentally important document for Israel knowledge and Zionist awareness it's so underrepresented that just talking about it on anniversaries is insufficient, gives insufficient value and weight to the importance of this document, which was signed by Zionists of very different perspectives. And, and, and that's why I think your segue was valid, not just keeping us in terms of time, but also,
1: Well, I think also, I mean, there's two reasons I say, I think you're right. I think, first of all, um, it, when you only talk about these things on anniversaries, you lose the importance of it because then you it, it like slips in with everything else. Oh yeah, there was that that question of potential. Woohoo! Yeah yeah yeah. And if I could maybe make a drash, I think it's important during the three weeks when we're mourning the destruction of our previous commonwealth to talk about the the reestablishment of the commonwealth and and the founding document. You know, when we read Ezra and Nehemiah, they talk about coming back and reestablishing the commonwealth. You know, so that's you
0: know I would even take your I would even take your m- a metaphor further and say the fact that we lost the second Commonwealth because of infighting and the inability of people who looked at the world differently to work together, this is an amazing document in the history of the Jewish nation where people of differing visions really came out with a shared vision, and uh, I think I think as we go through it, we'll point out where you can see uh, where they came together, but in what it doesn't say, you can also see what they left out in order to have a shared document.
1: Mm. Nice, right? The, the white
0: spaces between the letters. Yeah. There's there's a lot of information in those white spaces. Um, so let's talk about the structure. We were arguing over whether it has three parts or four parts.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, it definitely. there's definitely distinct parts to it. And the first part really begins with, as the first line says, the land of Israel was the birthplace of the Jewish people. And it, it establishes the, um, the I guess you'd say, the, the legitimate rights of the Jewish people to declare a state in this land. Um, and it deals with it on a historical level, and and in a, in a very few lines, you know, three, four paragraphs, I don't know how many paragraphs, four paragraphs, I think. Um... Uh, yeah even more actually, six paragraphs as i 'm looking at it quickly, six eight, eight, more than you think isn 't it the whole really first section more than actually the whole verse section really deals with a short, concise history of the Jewish people um, and its need for their own state
0: told with told from the agenda of just of, 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 of giving the, the the reasons and basis almost a justification, but that sounds negative. If giving it, it, it's a review of Jewish history in mini form, explaining why this is a natural step in in the next stage of Jewish history and why it's a necessary step, and we'll, we'll analyze that first section. I think I would argue that I'm not a Freudian or a psychologist, even, but I, I would guess that in your memory it was few. You play one on the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I would argue that you probably uh, shrank it in your memory because um, it's often. Rush through, whether actually skimming it or just in your memory, because the goodies are, are later.
1: Well, I know. I mean, I guess. Well, when I teach it, because I teach it like in these sections. So, it's just, okay, what's the historical? What's the What's the first part? You know, can you find the different sections? And I guess I just like it's it's in the, whatever. I just see it in that way. But um, I, would argue, you know, it, I would argue that the, the the first sentence is really the core. Um, idea that we think people are missing, which is, I would say, which is, what does it mean to be an indigenous people?
0: Well, Hold on one second. The sections that you teach are?
1: So the texts I teach are the historical rights of the Jewish people to declare a state in this land. Section um, two is what kind of state we want to have.
0: Well, you're skipping just the technical stage. What I call the technical stage, where they just declare what it is. Right. So that's 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 why right exactly. But you, you put that into the. Yeah,
1: I guess I put. I don't really know. What, I mean, I guess you know. The, I actually usually breeze over it because it's so like. Okay, we're declaring a state. That's like. I, I'm more. I'm more in, interested in the visions and the. I guess so. That's why. I, uh, and then the third state is. So the second. St- so if we say this... if we say this, let's sort of do this a little bit more. Um... uh Organized. So the first stage being the historical overview of why we have the rights to declare state in this land. Then we have the, the part where we declare the state. Then comes the um, what kind of state we want to have. And then the final stage is, okay, what do we expect from the international community? Or what kind of relationship do we want to have with the international community? Non-Jews and Jews. And those are also distinct.
0: For me, it's just a different way of looking at it. I, I make the... Um the historical section is the first section. The second section is just sort of the technical state, the actual literal declaration part, and then the third part of the vision of what the state should be. I include its its calls to other nations and our nation because that is part of to me. That's part of what we want the state to be. So I, I that that vision of what the state should be. I include the call to other nations and to our nations. But let's get to it. And I, I okay. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can argue when we get there. It's it's a pretty... It's, uh, I
1: don't know. it's almost like just a,
0: like I I don't even know if it's worth an argument. Yeah, I don't think it is. I think it's it's basically pretty quibbly. Um, uh, we, But we both do like structure. Okay, so I'm saying literally let's go paragraph by ca- paragraph. I
1: mean, I guess Be- when I do it in a class, I usually do it by sections.
0: So, so I, I, think, I think it's not fair on a podcast to do it by section because... Okay. Uh, If you're washing your dishes or cooking or cleaning your bathroom, you don't have time to read it. You don't have the text in front of you. And I would argue that you're saying that that part of the idea of that first section explains the idea of indigenous people. I think that the part of the problem is just the translation. So the first part, and then you can make your comment about why it's so important and what it's stating... Uh, The land of Israel was the birthplace of the Jewish people. Here, their spiritual, religious, and political identity was shaped. Here, they first attained to statehood, created cultural values of national and universal significance, and gave the world the eternal book of books. So that describes the formation of the Jewish people. Alan, why do you think that first statement is so important for explaining, you know, you said earlier, it explains what an indigenous people is.
1: Because we... We, I think, we often confuse indigenous people with is, oh, they always lived here and were from there, and the truth is, if if we take at least our own, we want to call it mythical or our own traditional understanding, our Al- Al- Avinu came from a different land, and then we went to Egypt and we formed there, and then only then did we really come and become part of a state. I mean, we even recognize that, but the point is, is that that this is where we became a nation. Doesn't matter. I mean, but people, and I, I think that the truth is, people were migrating all the time. There are no people who were, except maybe the Aborigines in Australia because they were on an island and that's why they have a different name called the Aborigine. Um, indigenous people is, is where people come, they, they form their identity as a nation in that place. Um, And and they're connected to that land. And that's where they perform a particular culture, which is we know culture is a lot to do with language and and other rituals, of course. Um, And that's what indigenous means. So, uh, And then we can even apply that to the Palestinian people, right? The same thing. I mean, arguing when or where, it doesn't matter. But they have a distinct national identity at this point that came to being in this, in this land.
0: Now, it is different than the biblical narration, which, without getting into the historicity of the biblical story, in our national story that we sit around on Passover telling at the Seder, essentially the story is we became a nation to a certain extent in Egypt and then really formed in the Sinai and then entered the land of Israel as a preformed nation. The fact that the Declaration of Independence makes no mention of this why do you think that is?
1: I think that's exactly that, because the, the first of all, the great majority of Founding Fathers did not see it as a historical, as a historical um, book. It wasn't meaning it has certain historical elements to it, meaning the Bible, um, but the, it, that which we know and can prove outside of the biblical story through archaeology, through other references, through even oral traditions, is that this is where we became uh, really a nation with the, our distinct um, culture
0: and, and what have you. So the Declaration is basing its, the beginning of its reckoning of Jewish history as history that all people can agree on. Nothing controversial, nothing that you could really intelligently, honestly disagree with. It requires no particular belief system to say that the the people of Israel gained national identity in this land thousands of years ago and not only shared values that were of uh, national but also universal importance and expressed it in the Bible, a book that was created here during that period of the first Jewish commonwealth.
1: And in fact, the Declaration of Independence makes no mention of God in in this section or in any other section we can have the discussion later about what how god sneaks in there because of a political reality but in terms of its justification for being here there is no god promised the land to abraham or you know god you know promised
0: to moses he'll bring the people will go da, da, da. there's none of that religious signatories were upset about that to a certain extent why do you, do you think that that was the right move
1: um, well, I think, first of all, a- at the time, the overwhelming majority of the leadership uh, believed that. Um, you know, there were secular Zionists. Secular Zionists found the state. I mean, and that was the big debate in the religious world was how much how much one should be really working with these secular Zionists who have a different, you know, ideology as we see. Um uh, so I think that, that really, ideologically, they that's where they were. That's what they believed. And I think they were smart enough to realize that they were talking in, as we say, Le they're talking in the political reality of their times.
0: You're saying it was two reasons God has left out. One is to create an, a coherent, unified Zionist message within, and also in talking without... The, the existence of the state of Israel is based on nothing that any human on planet Earth should disagree with. So, therefore, it's talking in, in, in language that everyone can agree on.
1: Yeah, I'm not so sure. I mean, the coherent I mean, it did leave out a chunk of religious Zionists who did, you know, didn't believe that. And No, no, the religious Zionists signed it. They signed it,
0: right. I'm saying, but they... In other words, just because I'm not saying everything that you think, I am saying the parts that we can all agree on. And so they were able to sign it, including the ultra-Orthodox who felt that they could sign it.
1: Right. I mean, in some ways, I think the ultra-Orthodox have it easier than the religious Zionists Um, because ultra-Orthodox really just saw it as a necessity in many ways as as a shelter like Herzl. Like after the Holocaust, it's clear the Jewish people need something.
0: So this was really of no religious significance to them, whereas for religious it's religiously significant, and therefore there is more of a reason to bring God into it. But nobody stood on that, and God doesn't appear. By the way, which
1: is why, in fact, Rav Tzvi Yehuda Cook is is mournful after the partition plan when we give up Kilo Jerusalem or other things, because in the religious mind, that that's very it was very problematic, even though he agreed to the.
0: You know, ultimately agreed to the, uh, the to a certain kind of religious mind and a certain kind of religious Zionist mind um, I think the, the difficulty of the translation is that it keeps talking about the Jewish people which in Hebrew is am um. and so in English you have a distinction between people and nation and in Hebrew you do not the word that they, they you, keep. You, Jew, you
1: think it should say "Jewish nation" here. In other words, modern Hebrew does make a distinction. Leum is modern. Is modern Hebrew is for nation. Your nationality is your leum. Um, but in traditional, you know, pre-modern Hebrew, and what does am mean in English?
0: Right, am means nation, or more or less. Um, the distinction is much more subtle in Hebrew and much less relevant. And in particular, translating it to English to, I mean, we're at this moment where there's this tension between the Israeli community and the diaspora Jewish community over these issues exactly, where it is, it, there's always this tension, but it's, it's a particular because of the Kotel and the conversion issues. It's in the newspapers lately. Um, so I, I really think that in Hebrew it reads as a cleaner document because Am doesn't imply a different thing than nationhood. I, I'm not sure what the difference is anyway. But uh, uh, even in English,
1: I'm not so sure. At the time, there was a difference, but I think today there there's a difference, potentially in English. I'm saying.
0: Well, I would say that at the time there was an unarticulation which haunts us till today in not articulating. If you say Jewish nation, which is why, which is what the declaration is essentially saying, then and and that's every nation deserves a homeland and and the right to be free and self-rule in that homeland. That's fundamental to the Declaration of Independence. And I would say to a non-Zionist Jew, uh, that's wrong. Like, Jews are not a nation. There are people that, if you're not Zionist Jew, and it's perfectly normal to live in the diaspora because that's what Jewish identity is, so you you would disagree with the Declaration of Independence by leaving it mushy, especially in English, saying people... You're allowing a grayer area where people can be pro-Israel without necessarily understanding the fundamental statement of Zionism, which says all members of a nation are from a particular land and therefore that is their homeland, implying that that's probably where they should live.
1: I'm, I'm not so, I think you may be nitpicking too much. Because the continuation of the document clearly says, right here, they first attained statehood, created cultural values of national, and universal, meaning they define what people means, and people means what we're saying nation.
0: Um, right, but is that, is that essentially what we are still to this day, or did we did form that historically? Uh, the people did have a state one day, and now we don't have a state, and we've, we've, we've moved around the world, we live around the world, and Jewish peoplehood is the same wherever you are. that's an argument that many Jews make. Whereas I think in Hebrew, the argument is saying we are essentially a nation. We had statehood and our diaspora is an aberration. It's not normal at all. And it is something that always needed to be repaired. As you go on, the next paragraph, after being forcibly exiled from their land, the people kept faith with it throughout their dispersion and never ceased to pray and hope for their return to it. And for the restoration in it of their political freedom, impelled by this historic and traditional attachment, Jews strove in every successive generation to reestablish themselves in their ancient homeland. Now that, I think, is probably the biggest exaggeration in the whole document. Is it fair to say that in every generation, the Jews historically tried to reestablish themselves in their ancient homeland?
1: I mean, it's um, obviously false. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, uh, there was—it it was clearly a. Uh, I don't, it's not even an ideal. It was clearly
0: a desire, an, an articulated desire. We'll Next year in Jerusalem, the so there's there's a constant,
1: and, and if you. So I, would, I would, I would, I would challenge our lead, our listeners now, when they say at the end of Yom Kippur coming up, you know, Bishana Bab Yushalayim, or at the end of the page, B'Shanna what do you mean by that? Because certainly if you're in the diaspora, what did they mean by that for 2,000 years? I'm not so sure it's any different than those living in the diaspora believe today. I mean, that's kind of what you're saying, no?
0: I think so. I, I think what the to Okay, so let's, let's defend the declaration now as not being a, a, a deceitful document and say that what they mean is prayer... And ritual, in other words, using uh, perhaps uh, metaphysical tools to try to move us forward to return to the land. Uh, it, it, it
1: was it was a representation of the fact that the Jews would always feel other wherever they are, even if they knew that practically. No, so that so
0: that you have in the they never cease to pray and hope for their return to it. I, I, I'm picking now on the. Uh, Jews strove in every successive generation to reestablish themselves in their ancient homeland I would say is, has to be read as a continuation of they prayed and hoped not as a separate practical political movement. What
1: I'm saying is an expression of the feeling of otherness. That they were always well, The flip side of other, that feeling. They would always feel other in wherever they are so they were never really even if they seemed settled and seemed set where they were, there was always a sense of otherness and that they were never at home. So, in some kind of, we can go back to being podcast psychologists, but something in the subconscious. I believe the term is podcologists, actually. <laughs> okay, <I'm not. laughs> that, that could get dangerous. I'm just going to yeah. go right on. <clears throat> Excuse me. But in some kind of, you know, subconscious, there was always this sense of we, we, our ideal is somewhere else.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I'm just picking on.
1: But, uh, yeah. and then and, and
0: then in re, in re, in re- we will have to turn into episode 37 to find out what then which should be right next to episode 36 on your feed to be continued